0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, today we have a really interesting topic and a really interesting discussion. Our guest is coming to us from Oslo, Norway. Anders Hagato. I don't think I have it exactly right, but he says I'm pretty close. And he is from a company called Iterate that is all about helping companies innovate. So he himself and his company tries to foster this culture of innovation, creativity, putting ideas out, and from there he goes out to other companies and and they try to do the same for them. It's really a key thing, I think, because post-pandemic, we're going to have to find a way to grow our world economy, whether we're talking about Europe or Canada or the US or anywhere else. And one of the ways we're going to have to do that is through productivity, and productivity comes from innovation. Honestly, I think we pay a lot of lip service to this, that innovation is something we say we need, but whether we're talking about governments not supporting it or whether we're talking about companies who are just really looking at the bottom line. We don't really do enough in practical terms to make it happen. So I found it really interesting to talk to Anders. He had some great thoughts around this. and I hope that we'll all think about this and perhaps foster a world where innovation is more important because I believe it's important from an economic point of view. Stay with us. Well, it's something we hear a lot about, the need to be innovative. We hear that innovation is the key to economic growth or that companies need to encourage innovation. But what does it really mean? Well, our guest today lives and breathes what innovation is. And in fact, one of the main purposes of his company is to help other companies become more innovative. Anders Hogedo is the founder of Iterate, a company that's just been named to Fast Company's list of 2020 best workplaces for innovation. He joins us now from Oslo, Norway. Hi Anders. Hi. Did I get your last name right?
0: Uh, almost. Close enough. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, thanks so much for being here today. It's a, a fascinating topic. Congratulations on your award, by the way.
0: Thank you very much and great to be here today.
1: You described your company, I was looking at your website, as a tech design innovation power for hire. Tell us what that is and how you got to be that.
0: Well, we say that we are a tech company that builds tech companies. Um, It started by uh, us working for clients, uh, helping them build uh, technology uh, and later also uh, design products. But at some point we started asked ourselves, you know, if we can do this uh, well for clients, uh, why not do it uh, for ourselves uh, as well? And it's kind of uh, funny to think back. We set this new direction five years ago, that we would both build our own ideas and build um, on behalf of others. And back then, we uh, actually, our greatest concern was that we wouldn't have enough ideas uh, to build uh, on our own. And when I look back at this today, you know, we have so many ideas. Um, we have many of them is just something that we're playing with. They will probably never be built, but they help us um, find the really, really, really good ideas. Um, and some of them turn into companies. Um, and I think a lot of this is about letting people come up with ideas, but also letting people help each other um, develop ideas and nurturing this culture of ideation um, has so many effects on uh, how we think and our ability to be uh, innovators.
1: How did you even get to the point where you could do both? Because you were working with clients and then you also kind of diversified your company to say, no, we're gonna come up with ideas and use those for other things. It's a bit of a leap of faith, right?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, Many people advised us that we should do this separately, that there should be this focused uh, client work, maybe in one company, and then we could build another on the side that would do innovation. Uh, But we chose not to do that. It was a very conscious choice uh, to keep it all in the same company. Um, And that actually um, turned out to give us a lot of advantages. Um, It turns out that uh, a main reason that a startup um, or a venture, if you're in a company, that it fails is that the market timing is wrong. Uh, a lot of great startups have launched their products too early in their markets. Um, and if you have this combination of clients and innovation work, um, what we can do is put out some experiments and see how it goes. And we can take our time. Uh, in the meantime, we'll serve uh, clients and do other interesting work. Um, we don't, in that sense, we don't have this runway that a startup has, like they 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 um, raise funding and then that gives them a certain amount of time to prove uh, what they're out to do. Uh, but um, with our setup, we have more, a lot more calendar time, and we don't necessarily have to work on every idea all the time. Um, so instead of killing ideas, we have um, decided to just bury them temporarily. So, and some, so we call that the, the zombie graveyard. And sometimes these ideas, they come back to haunt us. And that's usually when the market is ready. Um, and obviously, as we all know, uh, um, a lot of things have changed. Um, this is a very, very strange year uh, with the global pandemic. That, but it's also accelerated a lot of change. Um, and this is one of the things that made us ready um, to um, deal with that.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about the pandemic because you have to ask what the pandemic's doing. Overall, do you think it's going to set back companies in general, like to a point where we don't see a lot of innovation? Because right now they're just struggling to survive in really most countries.
0: Yeah. No, I think um, it's a spectrum. And, and I, I, in a way, I think it's going to be even more polarized. So the companies that struggle to innovate might struggle even more. Um, and the companies that were already on their way towards innovation uh, might see that uh, the, the changes the big, uh, in the economy and in, in the world in general uh, also um, kind of accelerates um, the readiness uh, for these new innovative products. That they've made. Um, and then I think it's a, a third type of company that uh, maybe s- was struggling uh, before the pandemic, but somehow uh, manages to find uh, momentum in it and turn around more quickly than uh, what they had planned to do.
1: So, can you give us any examples of a company that's going to do well in the pandemic because they are innovative and ready?
0: I think um, you could say uh, we have one of our uh, ventures that we uh, supported, which is now a company in, in growth, uh, has had some a very interesting uh, developments. So what they do is uh, last mile delivery. Uh, so it's kind of uh, Uber, but for uh, deliveries to your homes. Um, and they are uh, integrated with a lot of um, e-commerce stores. Uh, and they offer, their offering is basically that uh, once you've uh, bought something online at checkout, you're asked if you want it delivered on your door in two hours or so. And uh, obviously, in a pandemic, uh, people uh, are more hesitant to go to the store, so they will buy a, more, a lot more online, um, which means that, in a way, they're counter to the economy, um, and um, they gain a lot more customers Uh, in this situation. But what also happens is that people or customers in general will develop new shopping habits. They will see also after the pandemic that maybe this is a lot easier and more convenient uh, way of shopping, Uh, even things you weren't used to shop online. Um, And yeah, a a very interesting example of uh, how um, the pandemic accelerates habits Uh, and builds more confidence around uh, new ways uh, for these kinds of businesses.
1: You know, I'm in North America, you're in Europe, but it's not that different when I talk to different companies and different people. Everyone gets frustrated at government's role here, saying it it isn't really helping us. I don't know if you see it differently, but what are the things that could be done on a government or macroeconomic basis to make it easier for companies?
0: That's a very good question. I think... um, Uh, Employee safety uh, is important that companies can um, have um, some kind of confidence that if they will put people who maybe uh, don't have uh, the normal things to do uh, because of the pandemic, that they could use these people uh, to innovate and find new uh, businesses or develop their company. Um, I think a lot more companies would be able to do this. If they knew that somehow their government has their back, um, instead of letting these people go, because there's so much uh, innovation power um, in this, um, so and, and obviously anything they can do to secure um, what to 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 whichever extent they're able um, to to make uh, things more predictable um, and. Um, yeah, just b- build some kind of safety around these companies um, that, you know, if they were able to do this, I think some some positive could actually come out of this pandemic as well.
1: Yeah, it's something I've been concerned about there's this waste of talent there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many other challenges out there. They were there before the pandemic. Um, so um, nobody want this, wanted uh, this pandemic to come, but now it's here, and it's I think the only the best way to deal with it is to just see, okay, is it, are there also opportunities? Can this also be a catalyst for uh, other types of important change that we will need nevertheless? and, and, what, and let's just see what we can do to have people uh, solve it, perhaps even faster. Uh, than how we used to work before.
1: What are the things you saw that needed to be solved before the pandemic?
0: Good question. Um, Of of course you have um, uh, like climate change uh, it's still a big topic um, although it's not uh, talked about as much uh, right now Um, but that in turn uh, has so many um, dependencies on how society work works. Um, so, uh, for instance, um, having so many things produced at the other end of the world, wherever you are. But you, if you say take a, a Norway and Europe, and I, I, I think it's the same in the U.S. and Canada, that um, you have kind of outsourced a lot of production capacity. Um, to other countries uh, which is uh, a long way from where you are and then all of this has to be transported uh, which uh, costs uh, a lot in terms of climate and um, there really is there are, there are only economic reasons for, for this uh, way of doing it um, so um, if things, if you could move production um, closer to home which there are now many reasons that you would want to do. Also, um, uh, for like say a, a, um, a country that produces medicines, uh, crucial medicines for other countries, and that country is harder hit harder by the pandemic, and now it has these ripple effects out to other countries who might be out of medicines, right? And uh, that's I think that's a thing the pandemic shows us that. Um, we can, uh, if we can use our resources more wisely, um, it makes sense in the sense of the pandemic, but it will also make sense uh, in the future uh, where we want to uh, be more sustainable in how we do business. <laughs>
1: I want to get back to the idea of innovation and talent and how you're helping companies be innovative. You need the right people to do this. So when you're looking for staff, for workers, for talent, what are the things you're looking for?
0: Well, we are um, very much looking for uh, people who share our values. So it doesn't mean they should be the same as everybody else. We are very... um, uh, We see the value of a high diversity of opinion uh, and people who can bring many different perspectives into the company and obviously also many different ideas into the company. Um, But there are some basic human values that's very, very important to us. It all comes really back to uh, respecting other people. But to be more specific, we look for uh, people who are humble. Uh, who are curious almost to the degree that they are restless about finding out things and people who are open. They are willing to tell everybody else what they want, uh, where they want to go. Um, and we see that if we find people who have these values, um, it helps us build a culture with a high degree of trust in each other. And that high degree of trust is very—it's instrumental to this community. Uh, Culture of play and culture of ideation. So um, you know there is a lot of talk about uh, safe failure, um, which is great. I mean, it's it's important innovation to be able to experiment uh, quickly, and then if it doesn't work, uh, the failure wasn't that big, so you could call it safe failure. But to us, there is uh, another level on over safe failure, which we call play and play with ideas. And I think it, if you have the trust in the culture that you can even pitch a terrible idea uh, to your coworkers, um, and then they can help you make that idea go from terrible to great, um, it's, uh, that accelerates innovation, uh, but it takes um, this, um, these shared values uh, to get there.
1: I noticed you wrote in one of your pieces, we lowered the bar for how stupid an idea could be and ins- could and should sound in the beginning. I, I like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you would you would be amazed how many stupid ideas we have. <laughs> but you'd also be amazed. Um, sometimes it's not that much effort to turn a stupid idea into a good one. And one of our inspirations here, I think I, I heard an interview with one of the Airbnb founders who tells about what Airbnb sounded like when they were brand new and it just didn't sound very smart you would have uh you know uh, people all over the world uh, rent their homes to random strangers but uh, their definition was that a good idea has this ability that it polarizes which means that some people will love it and some people will hate it but if that uh, if everybody loves your idea it's probably not that innovative it, because it's too familiar. It's a sign that it's too familiar Just but the really innovative ideas, they are a little foreign, which means that it takes some time to get used to them, which means that they often sound a little stupid in the beginning. But if you can have people around you who support you, also to the degree that you uh, actually dare telling them about this stupid idea, that's what you need to get going.
1: So, the people that share these values, what kind of backgrounds do they come from? You're a tech company. Is that what you're looking for?
0: Uh, More than just tech people. uh, We used to be um, a bunch of software coders, uh, but we have expanded. um, And that's one of the real, also well known, the realizations we had five years ago when we set this new direction. So now it's uh, people in, who do product design in, in all the different capacities um, under product design and also uh, uh, business people who are good at this exploratory business execution. And it's when we put these tech design and business people together and they have these shared values and they form these autonomous teams, that's when things really start to happen.
1: Because there's, you know, so much emphasis in North America and everywhere on STEM backgrounds, and obviously that's important. But you're obviously looking for qualities, which are harder to define as well.
0: Yes. Um, so, you know, in in um, one of the things we 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 recruit a lot of uh, our employees fresh out of school, but uh, when they start working for us, we have already known them for maybe two or three years. They have been summer interns, and they've been doing other kinds of work with us. Uh, so we've kind of followed them uh, for a long time. Um, and once we got this way of recruiting going, these people would also know other people uh, that they could uh, that they knew um, uh, could fit in. So it's kind of self-reinforcing in a way, uh, but it's also been important to always expand and look for new places where we can do this. To get people from different schools have also different perspectives. To keep that uh, diversity of opinion um, going and keep it high.
1: And do you have a specific training program?
0: Yes. When we train them, uh, we start training them when they're students. We 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 don't even know if we're going to hire them at that point, but we start training them anyway. Uh, And then. Uh, so if they don't start with our company, at least we have the pleasure of knowing that we could impact them in some way. And they'll probably go somewhere else and do important work there. And then this con- training continues um, as they start. Uh, we have some training programs, classes, workshops, and so on that they go through. And then also we have these great uh, clients uh, where they you, most employees will go out and do client work before they become innovators. And they also learn a lot. Uh, from working with our clients so we're also very uh, particular about which clients we want to serve so so we, we get these uh, synergies going
1: so at the end of the day there are going to be people who have a lot of ideas and they're going to help other companies innovate if you're a company listening to this what are the things you should be doing to create this atmosphere where people put out their ideas and they, they fail or they don't fail
0: I think uh, it's important to, um, okay, so three main aspects, you need that organization that has that raw execution power. So that once the idea is there and you start to building it, things will go really fast and people will work smart. And a lot of this is also about empowerment, that the people who do the work in innovation should also um, own the whole innovation process uh, so that they can... Uh, they will learn what works and what doesn't. So they should be the one who, who shapes, to who shape that process. And then uh, on the culture side, you, you need to work on building a, a strong psychological safety for everybody. Um, and to the degree that you can see people uh, playing with these ideas, um, even the bad ones. Um, we have some things that we do. We try to establish kind of a heartbeat for our whole ideation. So every month we have this um, event that we call pitch night where people come to pitch ideas. Um, Some of these pitches will be serious pitches. Maybe somebody are rehearsing before they're meeting an investor. And then we have these pop-up pitches where the motto is basically that no idea is so bad that it doesn't deserve a pitch. So that's one way of doing it. And then on the people side, um, go for uh, people with many different perspectives. I go for diversity of opinion and then uh, put, but to make it work, look for these shared values um, that will work in your company.
1: And right now, are you working remotely with your team? Uh,
0: yes, uh, and yes and no. So p- some people are in the office and some people are remote. Um, so things have opened up a little bit now in, uh, in Norway. Um, so uh, it's, it's a little bit of mixture. Uh, before summer, uh, it was all remote.
1: And what kind of a challenge was that to try and you know foster this culture when people aren't actually physically together?
0: So interesting you ask, because we actually we even have this uh, uh, research team uh, uh, looking into it uh, and an external research partner, and they've made some interesting findings. So our teams did very well uh, in that period, even though they did uh, remote work. We even had a team that came together remotely so they had they actually has in the beginning they had never physically met um it was even cross-atlantic because we have some advisors overseas um but um, the thing that made them score very high is that our teams self-select so that's also part of our strategy that we don't tell people this is your team we are, you are now assigned to this project we keep it open so that the teams themselves will have to go and recruit more people to, to, to get on the team. And they do this by uh, showing that they are uh, passionate about their work and that they're working on an idea that's attractive uh, to the people that, that join them. Um, and we think now that this uh, we, we didn't expect the score to be this high. Uh, the teams scored themselves on how, they, how meaningful their work was, how well they worked together what kind of progress they were making and so on. Uh, So uh, we were uh, caught a little bit by uh, surprise on this, but in that sense, um, it really didn't uh, impact us this much. But I wanna add that I think remote work will come more and more, but I don't think that's uh, the whole story. I think it works also because people from time to time come together physically. So I I think that the combination will be very important and it comes back to building culture, it's difficult to build culture over video conference. So um, these things need to happen also in a physical environment.
1: So would it change how you hire? Because you don't need them there every day, maybe you need them four times a year. Would you look further field geographically, or would you keep the model more or less the same?
0: There's no reason we wouldn't look further geographically. So that's more like, Right now, uh, we have um, uh, good people coming in, and we need to handle uh, what we already have. But I think in the in the future, we could do uh, a lot more of that, and that's super interesting because uh, I think it will get even more perspectives. Now, video conferencing still doesn't uh, solve time zones. Uh, I know it's morning with you now, and it's I'm in the afternoon. But uh, on the other hand, if I look at countries in the same time zone as Norway, there are a lot of them. They they go all the way down south. Um, So uh, that may be the most attractive way for us uh, to expand.
1: Well, you don't have to be in the same time zone. I mean, nine to five or eight to four or whatever is the norm. But frankly, I like working earlier. And some people like working later. And even on this podcast, I've interviewed people in Australia or wherever else. You just have to work a little harder at it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it opens up. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's look forward a little bit. We have this pandemic and we're hoping that we're out of this one way or the other next year. We don't know if it'll be earlier or later, how long it will take. What are the big changes you see as we emerge from this? What kind of world are we going to have?
0: I think that um, uh, we will have, like we just talked about, there will be the teams and the organizations will look differently. People will work from other locations. Um, So the whole dynamics of uh, where you are and how you work, and maybe, as you said, also when you work uh, is going to change. Um, I think it solves so many practical problems also for people, this higher degree of flexibility. And what the pandemic does is basically showing us that, you know, we can actually make this company go around and we can do things and we can have achievements um, in, even though we were, were working this so, so differently. Um, so that's, um, I think that's one part of it. I think um, uh, on the business side um, that things um, will be more or at least this is what I hope. If we learn the right lessons from this, is that things will be more decoupled um, and, and more distributed, um, so uh, and more flexible, um, so that um, uh, like my prior example with where the production is and where the customers are, um, and also uh, that this um, more uh, traditional. Linear uh, supply chain systems, uh, will uh, we'll see less of that and we'll see more and more newer ways of um, offering and, um, or um, servicing the entire product offer from production to delivery uh, to customers. Uh, it will be more lightweight, more software-based, um, more uh, oriented around uh, digital marketplaces than the large monolith uh, organizations that we've seen. Um, I also think, you know, in, in the, the topic of future work, uh, there's a lot of talk about robotics and algorithms and so on, which for sure is coming. But I also think, think that uh, um, in addition to that, um, we'll see organizations that pursue how they can actually make their humans. Uh, even smarter um, and I think this is revolves a lot around how we organise our work um, and how we think about efficiency and productivity um, and um, that uh, the, many organisations will realise that the world is actually changing even faster uh, so to keep up uh, innovation will become even more important and that will drive other types of organizations uh, with larger degree of empowerment um, and also larger degree of uh, n- building these collective intelligences where people really are able to think together uh, and help, help each other out um, to become innovators, and more people uh, will become innovators.
1: Anders, I hope you're right. That's a very optimistic vision. We're going to need that post-pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Anders Hokito is the founder of Iterate. Well, that's it for today. If you do want to find out more about Anders and his work, please check out our show notes. You'll see some links there to his company and some of the things he's written. If you like this show, please remember to leave a review or a rating and please subscribe so you can get the next one right away and tell people about it because we want to have more people as part of this discussion. You can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at at RelentlessEco. Well, that's it for today's discussion. More coming up next week. Thanks, as always, to Stokely Audio for making it all sound so good.
0: To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production.